Welcome back, fiction fans, to Not Just Any Other Story. I'm Anita Capri, and I'm so happy you joined us here today for this podcast. Today, we are going to continue with the shopping cart people, chapters 11, 12, and 13. And I am very happy to welcome a very good friend of mine, Cindy. Cindy, you're the third one, the third Cindy to come and join us for this podcast. Yes, I'd heard that. I said third time's the charm. (laughs) It is. And if you know Cindy, you will know that she actually is a charm. She's a gem and a charm. (laughs) Gem of a charm. Anyway, we will start off with uh, chapter 11, so I will start, and you can do the other two. Sound good? That's perfect. Okay, here we go. So chapter 11. Uh, If you recall, um, the previous chapter, Angel finally decided she was going to go to Italy, so now she's realizing she might have to bribe some people. Okay, so that's why it's called bribery, booze, and accompanying blunders. Okay, here we go. A few days later, after having picked up Mel's cleaning and Cam's prescription from the pharmacist, I rushed to meet them for a late dinner at the Bistro at my expense. Traffic was unusually slow for 8 o'clock on a Wednesday evening, but summer construction in Toronto was always, always seemed to go well into the fall. By the time I got to the restaurant, they were already sharing a bottle of wine. Bev winked at me from the other end of the restaurant and waved me over. I motioned back to her that I would be there in a minute. I had to make sure that Mel and Cam knew I had arrived and that they had, at the very least, poured a glass of wine for me. After taking more abuse from them at the table, both of them going on about ordering the most expensive items on the menu, I went back to talk to Bev. She gave me an unexpected hug. We seem a little affectionate this evening, I teased. I'm just glad you're going to see Tilly, honey. You deserve it. And don't worry, I'll make sure Harry has a break from mom and dad while you're gone. There are tender moments sometimes between sisters that somehow make all of the other more unpleasant ones seem silly and insignificant. This was one of them, and it mattered. I could see that Bev was truly thrilled for me, and this would be the first time I would be away from Harry for more than a couple of days. I understood at that moment why Bev had to hug me. She was really saying, It'll be okay. Go have fun. You're allowed. I returned the hug. As I squeezed her, she asked, How is Harry enjoying his first week of high school so far? I smiled at how skillfully she managed to change the subject so we both wouldn't get too caught up in the moment. Better than I ever expected, he just eased into it. Bev smiled. When I turned around to head back to the table, she said, Don't worry about the meal tonight, sis. It's going to be, it's a going away present. Thanks, Bev. I offered a smile full of gratitude, though I had never yet paid for any meal I'd had at the restaurant, either as a server or as a patron. I'm so lucky, I whispered to myself, so very, very lucky. When I reached Cam and Mal, a freshly opened bottle of champagne was waiting for me, yet another going away present from my sister and her husband. It really was a night for celebrating. For the first time since I had decided to take the trip to Italy, I felt excited. I started to get the feeling that it was something I was meant to do. Two hours and a few bottles of booze later, I knew I couldn't possibly drive myself home. Neither could Mel. Cam, as always, seemed to be just fine. He was always able to take his drinking in stride. He insisted that we leave our cars and he drive his pitiful co-workers home. Mel and I giggled and made fun of Cam for the whole ride. It was about 11 when I was left sitting on the front steps of my little house. I had already decided that I would not go inside until I had sobered up enough to walk a straight line or until Harry went to bed, whichever came first. There was no way I wanted him to see me in that condition. 
As I sat there, my head stooped over my knees, I started to think that I should at least check on him and pretend that I was still out so he wouldn't wait up. How I was able to find the digits of my phone number on the keypad of my cell phone was no less than a miracle. I could hear the phone ringing inside the house. Instead of answering it, Harry opened the front door. Mom, what are you doing? He asked as he stepped out onto the wide wooden porch. How'd you know I was here? I knew I was slurring my words. I saw you get out of Cam's car on the driveway and stumble up the steps. I felt so foolish. There I was, 30 years old, trying to hide that I was quite sloshed from my 14-year-old son. Pathetic. I felt sick all of a sudden, and I knew it wasn't from the booze. Come on, Mom, here. Take my arm. Harry helped me up and into the house. I'm sorry, Harry. I didn't want you to see me like this. I'm sorry. <laughs> As I tripped over the shoes in the front entrance, Harry caught me. He was smiling. It's okay. I know you're not a drunk, at least not usually. I was half mad and wanted to laugh at the same time. Don't joke, Harry. Your mom is very responsible. Then I started to giggle again, and I couldn't stop. I wasn't sure about what happened after that, but I would have to take Harry's word for it that once my head hit the pillow, I simply closed my eyes and fell asleep. I woke up the next morning on my bed, still fully clothed, including my shoes, which were still on my feet. I sat up and my head began to spin. Squinting, I looked around the room, then at the blanket scrunched up at the foot of the bed. The smell of burnt toast was wafting in from the kitchen. It was a wonderful, comforting smell. It was proof that I wasn't alone, that I still had my Harry. Then I felt a growing wave of butterflies and nausea swell from the pit of my stomach as I thought about how I had somehow failed Harry. I could hear the voices in the back of my mind, my mother, my sisters, the neighbors, even Eddie Bickner, all of them saying, do you believe her getting plastered and her son having to take care of her? There's something about motherhood that for some reason makes you feel guilty whenever you do something that makes you look, feel, or act younger, and the guilt either creeps in slowly in small irritating doses or in giant waves like on that particular day. So with guilt riding heavily on my shoulders accompanied by a slight hangover, I made my way to the bathroom and searched through the medicine cabinet for something to relieve the slight throb in my head that seemed to become louder with every minute. I was glad that I didn't have to go into work until noon. Thursday was my late start day. We all had one, and it made the long hours we put in just a little more bearable. As I looked at my disheveled appearance in the bathroom mirror, I suddenly remembered that I still had to find a way to get my car home. I had left it in the parking lot behind the restaurant. The thought that it could be stolen hadn't crossed my mind, not just because I was a little too intoxicated to think about it the previous night, but because I didn't think anyone would be too attracted to a 10-year-old Honda Civic. Just then, Eddie Bickner showed up at the door. If there's something that doesn't go well with a hangover, it's Eddie's for Eddie first thing in the morning. I knew he would be asking for a favor, and in my condition, I knew I would just do about anything to get rid of him. Hey, he started to say as I opened the door. Ooh, looking a little rough this morning. Thanks, I said, giving him the evil eye. Hey, do you think I could get a ride with you to work? It's sort of on the way, isn't it? How the heck am I going to get out of this one, I thought to myself. Where's your truck, I asked, rubbing my bloodshot eyes. I'm having some trouble with it, so I thought you might like the company of a good-looking, fun guy for a change. For a change, I questioned, wondering how he would come to such a conclusion about the types of guys I went out with. I went into a momentary relapse at that moment, recalling some of the more memorable dates, memorable dates that I had been on over the last five or six years. There were several really cute guys I dated, but all of them were too conceited. I had to spend most of those evenings listening to them talk about themselves. Then there was Joe Spinoli, who was a sweetheart, but no matter how much I tried to convince myself that he was a nice guy and fun 
fun to be around. There was just no spark on my part. The most memorable of these prospects was Sandy McMullen. One of Dad's foremen introduced us. Sandy was apparently the nephew of a brother-in-law, and the fact that he was Irish seemed to elicit more encouragement from my father. I actually thought that this one had some promise. Sandy was attractive and witty and always well-dressed. To my delight, he didn't seem to have a problem with my mother's status. We had been on a couple of dates. By our third, I was smitten. We had gone out to a trendy new restaurant downtown. I'd worn the classic little black evening dress, always a sure hit, and my hair was swept up in the most alluring of styles. After one hot kiss in the car before we went in, I was already halfway to an invitation for him to spend the night with me following dinner. While we sat there sipping on wine and making our way through our appetizers, Sandy turned on the charm full force. When he brushed the tip of his finger across my hand and along my arm, I was already thinking about what he looked like under his steel gray Armani suit. By dessert, his hand was tickling my thigh and he had leaned across the table twice to kiss me. He didn't seem to have a care in the world about who was watching. Just when I had made up my mind that the date would definitely not be ending in that restaurant, a tall beautiful woman with fiery red hair and cheeks to match approached the table and dumped the contents of Sandy's wine glass over his head. Ignoring his protestations, she turned to me and proceeded to dump not just one, but two glasses of water over my head. That'll teach you for messing around with my husband, she said, pointing her index finger at me, her eyes still blazing. She stormed out and ran. At, he ran after her without a glance in my direction. I went to the ladies' room to clean myself up, paid the dinner bill, which he had graciously left to me, and walked out of the restaurant, my head down. I never laid eyes on Sandy McMullen again. I hadn't been out with anyone since. That was two years ago. Eddie was saying something to me that I had obviously not heard because he seemed to be leaning in close to my face, almost shouting. Perhaps it was his breath or the sound of his voice that zapped me back into the present. Actually, I said, realizing that I had a perfect and truthful excuse for not driving him to work. I don't have my car here, Eddie. I left it parked at my sister's restaurant. Eddie scrunched up his face as if he were confused. Isn't that your car in the driveway, he asked, pointing behind him. I stepped out onto the porch. Lo and behold, there was my car parked safe and sound, just where Eddie said it was. Joining his confused expression with my own, I noticed out of the corner of my eye something sticking out of the mailbox. It was a plastic Ziploc bag. As I pulled it out, I saw that my car keys were in it, courtesy, no doubt, of Bev and Hans. Realizing that my previous excuse for driving Eddie to work had become null and void, I offered him a fake smile and told him to be ready in about an hour. Harry had already gone to school, but had left a note on the kitchen kitchen table. Hi, Mom. I just wanted to let you know that I'm going over to Keith's house after school. I'll call you from there. Be good today. Love, Harry. Thinking about Harry's note, I stepped into the shower with a smile, a feeling of pride and love filling my heart. By the time I got dressed for work, my headache was down to a slight throb again. During the drive, Eddie wouldn't stop staring at my bare legs. I should have known better than to wear a skirt for the ride, but it was an unusually warm September day, and I felt the need to prolong the feeling of summer for as long as possible. As Eddie got out of the car at Home Depot, he stopped and turned around, as if he had just remembered something important. Hey, Angel, if I get a ride to your clinic, wouldn't you, would you, you wouldn't mind giving me a lift back home, would you, honey? 
right, like he hadn't thought of that before. Well, honey, I said, I'm finished at six today unless I get an emergency, so it's up to you. You may have to wait around for me. I'll see you then, he said, winking at me as if he expected me to start counting down the hours until I would see him again. I watched him walk away, his distinctive swagger catching the attention of a couple of female twenty-somethings. At first glance, I had to admit he was quite attractive, but having watched the comings and goings of his numerous women friends in addition to his frequent visits to my side door to borrow something, it made him seem somewhat of a buffoon to me. Perhaps underneath that all that manly fluff was a sensitive, caring guy who was just searching for the right person. The notion of Eddie searching for Mrs. Wright brought on an inward chuckle. You never know, I found myself saying out loud as if I were trying to convince someone else of the possibility. You just never know. And that is the end of chapter 11. <laughs> He's a character, huh? Eddie. Yeah, I, when I was reading it and then listening to you read it again, I thought, I think everybody knows an Eddie. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's more that he, um, like, I, I guess I wasn't even thinking of him as a neighbor. I was just thinking of him as some guy that we all have met sometime in yes. our life who thinks so much yes. of himself. Yes. And meanwhile, you're kind of thinking, uh, no, like, you're not that great, but he's <laughs> he's quite thrilled with himself yeah. right or, or you know there's there's guys and girls people in general that they're so good looking and then when you talk to them or you get to know them they become less good looking to you or less attractive and then there's people that you don't really think of as like outstandingly attractive but the more you get the opposite happens the more you get to know them the more attractive they become because their personalities just shines through Right. Yeah, that's so. That's so true. Everybody knows somebody like that. You yeah, can all think sure. of somebody like that for too, sure. right? Yeah. For sure. For sure. Anyway, so um, that's more about Eddie. This next chapter is more about Zafaya. Zafaya. Yeah. Thank she's... you for pronouncing her name so that I'll be able to say it correctly. <laughs> Zafaya. Yeah. She's the new receptionist. Okay. okay. So chapter twelve is Zafaya. Chapter twelve, Zafaya. As if the devil himself were playing havoc with my routine, there was yet another surprise waiting for me at work. There, sitting awkwardly behind the reception desk when I arrived, was a young woman who greeted me with a smile that was at first unsure and timid. I stopped dead in my tracks, wondering who she was, this girl with the sad brown eyes who looked no older than my Harry. When she stood up to introduce herself and shake my hand, my attention was instantly diverted from her dark, flawless skin and wiry black hair to her bulging belly. I'm Zafaya, she said with a voice that was quiet but loud enough to be soothing. I tried to erase the look of shock on my face. Hi. I really didn't know what to make of it all. It wasn't like Cam or Mel to hire a receptionist, and a very pregnant one at that, without our communal consent. As I was about to start asking questions, Cam entered the room. Oh, so you've met Zafaya. She's a cat fanatic, Angel. Did she tell you? Uh, well, not really. So come on back to the office. There's a situation with the groomer we need to handle. He swiftly took my arm to lead me out to the back office. What's wrong? You look like you're suffering from a night of partying with your friends or something. Then he winked. My second wink of the day. What was it with men and winking? Did they think they were on Bewitched? That it would do some kind of magic on us women? That it was that, that was all that was needed to take be taken under their spell? 
So you're telling me, I began after Cam's brief explanation of who Zafia was and why she was there, you've hired a pregnant 18-year-old who looks 12, by the way, and who has only ever worked in a grocery store. Yes, but she, I know, she loves cats, I interrupted. Cam laughed. Look, Angel, I didn't actually hire her yet. I said she could try it out today. We'll decide together whether she stays on. Oh, so you did consider me then. Was Mel in on this too? She was here this morning. She gave the green light to make a decision, at least a temporary one. I nodded my head, smiling. Cam had a heart of gold, and he seemed to want desperately to give this single mom-to-be a chance. You know, Angel, you, of all people, should be sympathetic to her situation. I felt so cruel at that moment. I pictured myself pregnant with Harry at 15, and what it would have been like had my parents kicked me out of the house with no money and no place to go. I felt my eyes moisten with pity and shame. How could her parents reject her like that? My dear, not every family is as wonderful as yours, he replied. Then suddenly, my concern for this girl seemed to shift from her qualifications to her personal well-being. Where is she staying? Well, I didn't really get that far. When I gave her an application to fill out, she left the address and phone number blank and said she was staying at a friend's place for a week and is in between apartments. Why did she leave her last job then? Angel, she was stocking shelves and lifting boxes. She shouldn't be doing that kind of work in her condition. Her manager was giving her a hard time, so she had to quit. And I believe her. Isn't she in a union or something? She should be calling someone, the labor board maybe? This just isn't right. They can't get away with that, can they? Cam looked at me without answering, but his expression was filled with both compassion and determination. He didn't need to say another word. Sometimes you just need to do the right thing. And upon reflection, I was so glad that Cam was there to remind me of just that. So this is how it came to pass that pregnant 18-year-old Zafia, who was abandoned by everyone, who was supposed to care about her the most, including the father of the baby, came to be part of our family at the clinic. It took some extra hours to train her on the computer and help her with the day-to-day -day tasks of an animal hospital, which seemed to get busier with each passing week. Within a few days, she took on jobs that we had been doing since we opened, and this seemed to take a huge load off of us. It's strange how things can sometimes work out. As Moira always says, we are all, every one of us, put in each other's lives for a reason. She was so right. Every once in a while, our own connections with the people we know seem to spread out and invade other lives, like a disease you aren't afraid of getting. Later on that evening, I couldn't wait to tell Moira all about Zafia and her situation. As I relayed the details to her, I could tell that the wheels in her head were spinning, as they so often did when she heard about someone who was in need. And that's the end of chapter 12, Zephiah. Sweet Zephiah. Sweet Zephiah. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know where Zephiah came from, but I'm already thinking that maybe Moira, all of a sudden Zephiah's going to be living with Moira. That's what I thought when I read that. No? Dang. I'm not saying. 
You just predicted the book. Oh, just... <laughs> I don't think it's the next chapter that would talks about that. Okay. I just thought that when I don't she know was I, it's, about... I think it's chapter 14, actually. It's not this chapter we're going to read, but it's the one after. Okay. Yeah, but that, so the wheels are like, yeah. obviously, yeah. like it's a pretty easy yeah. prediction to make. It sounds like it's a kind of a Moira thing. It's a Moira thing, that. for yeah. sure. For yes. Yeah. Yeah. What what I was reminded of, though, too, was, and Anita's always been like this, is gets along really well with her colleagues. And I liked the fact that um, Angel and Cam and Mel, they're colleagues, but they enjoy socializing together and they obviously get along very well and are very relaxed together outside of work. So I think they're probably a really good team at their veterinarian clinic, yeah. too, because yeah. they do that. But yeah, I know my... I, think maybe because we're the mother of boys we take yeah. a lot of um teasing and that sort of thing about Absolutely. all the stuff we do <laughs> especially maybe having a bit too much wine yeah yeah, yeah. yeah sure are you okay. gonna read chapter 13 I can read it if okay. you want me to sure chapter 13 we're moving on next one okay <laughs> chapter 13 you can dress her up but the day for my date with Les had finally arrived from the moment I woke up, contradicting thoughts and emotions seesawed in my mind so that I fumbled about in a state of clumsiness for most of the day. Dread and excitement played each of their parts well, so much so that I was indecisive about absolutely everything. I didn't know what to wear or how to do my hair for work that morning, as if the animals at the clinic would really care. When Zafia offered to go for the go to the coffee house across the street, I couldn't decide on what to have, a caramel latte, French vanilla, or a tea. So she made the decision for me and ordered the usual, decaf cafe au lait. Cam and Mel insisted that I go home a little early, Mel offering to do my hair and Cam giving me first date advice, making sure to warn me <laughs> not to drink too much. I was so distracted on the way home that I wasn't quite sure if I had even stopped at any red lights. When I walked into the kitchen, Harry and his friend Keith were there snacking on some chocolate chip cookies. Oh, hi, mom, Harry said, glancing over at the microwave to see the time. You're home early for a Friday. Yes, I am, I answered as I contemplated whether or not to tell Harry that I was actually going out on a date. I knew I couldn't, considering who the guy was, not just yet. I'm going to have a bath, I said, so I'll make dinner a while. in a while. Are you staying, Keith? Mm, I guess. Typical teenage response. Could we just order a pizza? Harry asked, impa impatience in his voice, as if the hassle of making dinner were his responsibility. Sure, honey. I smiled at the thought of how many times Harry could eat pizza in a week and never become sick of it. Oh, by the way, I said, trying to sound as nonchalant as possible, I'm going for a coffee with a friend later on. Will you need me for anything? Though Keith was oblivious, Harry looked at me, a little embarrassed. Mom, please, we're fine. Harry was indignant. Keith, is your mom okay with you guys here tonight? Maybe you should call her and let her know you two will be hanging out here on your own. Though I trusted Harry implicitly, I always needed to make sure that someone was close by. 
Keith lived just a few doors down, and it had been both convenient and assuring to know that I could call Kathy, Keith's mother, to keep an eye out for Harry over the years when I got held up at work. She'd been a godsend when I was taking evening courses to get my medical degree, and in particular during my last year of veterinary school, when my schedule was exceptionally grueling. Both Kathy and my parents had taken turns checking on Harry, feeding him, and sometimes even getting him off to school in the morning. I sometimes wondered if I were being overprotective. Just leaving Harry home on his own after school when he had turned 12 was a huge adjustment. I would call every day to make sure he was there. Now he was the one who called me every day, usually to ask me about what was for dinner. Keith called home and I could hear him talking to his mother as I made my way down the hall. I smiled as I thought of his family whose members all had names that began with the letter K. Kathy, Keith's mother, had married Kenny and upon the birth of their first child, the couple had decided to keep the trend going and called their new baby boy Kevin, who was a few years later followed by Keith, Harry's friend, sorry, by Keith, Harry's friend. Even his dog's name, Killer, began with a K, although I always thought it odd to name a poodle Killer. After a soothing bath and a cup of herbal tea, I felt much more relaxed and began the task of deciding on the look I would try to achieve for this somewhat turning point event. Conservative yet sassy, I thought to myself. Examining my hair in the mirror, I noticed it was time to get those highlights done again. The soft gold hue was faded now, and my roots revealed that I was neither a true blonde nor a brunette, but somewhere in between. I realized that when Les knew me as a teenager, I had mousy brown hair, just a kid who didn't care about highlights or high heels. I digressed for a moment, picturing his young face and how unaware he seemed at the time of the presence he had, that he still had. I decided to wear my hair up, loosely clipped and falling down onto my shoulders. The apparel was another matter altogether. With this, I had to pay particular attention to the message my clothes would send out. I couldn't wear something too conservative and I didn't even consider low cut. I needed something cute, but appealing. Just as I had decided on cute, my eyes caught the little black summer dress that I hadn't worn yet. For a moment, I hesitated, recalling what had happened the last time I had worn the little black dress out to dinner with a man. This one, however, was not so captivating, not the kind of dress that asked for that kind of attention. If I had to describe the style of it, I would say that it was just the right combination of fun and casual with a hint of class. It's still warm enough outside for this, I convinced myself. So with my cute dress and sassy hairdo, I floated out of the house and into the car, hoping for a good tune that might settle my nerves as I made the journey from suburbia to the edge of the big city. After I parked the car across the street from Sweet Times Cafe, I noticed Les was already inside, sitting by the window. He was wearing a deep blue short sleeve shirt, my favorite color, coincidentally. I stepped out onto the road and felt suddenly as if someone had grabbed my legs and attached weights to them. I took a deep breath, which I hoped he hadn't noticed, and started to cross the street, trying desperately to walk with light, 
long, alluring strides, and Casey glanced out and saw me. He did. Our eyes locked, and for a brief moment, I couldn't breathe. He was staring now, smiling. It was such an inviting smile that my legs, which seemed to have freed themselves from the weights, were now as light as a feather, and I began to hurry, not noticing that I had prematurely reached the curb. When the front of my shoe hit the edge of the curb, I tripped over it in one quick and embarrassing stumble. My fall was so awkward that I landed in a squatting position. My hands, which immediately began to burn from having been scraped along the sidewalk, were face down on the pavement. The burning in my palms coincided perfectly with the burning sensation I could now feel in my very flushed cheeks. It was as unflattering as having your dress tucked into the top of your underwear. And yes, I have actually done that one too. I looked up at the window, praying that Les hadn't seen me go down, but I knew he had witnessed the whole humiliating maneuver. He stood up and, despite how desperately comical the whole scene was, his expression was one of concern. I couldn't help myself at that point. I began to laugh, partly from embarrassment and partly at the realization that this was a hilarious beginning to a much-anticipated reunion. I made a futile attempt at regaining my dignity and brushed the dirt off my dress while making my way into the cafe, a slight limp in my step. When I got to the entrance, a few people actually clapped in my honor. I guess everyone had caught the play-by-play. -play. I bowed to them, the only appropriate thing I could think of doing, while Les made his way over toward me. Are you okay? He asked, taking one of my hands and examining the fresh scrapes. Yes, I was smiling now, a nervous smile. He nodded his head, almost in disbelief. Do you want to stay? He asked somewhat timidly and risk doing that again in front of another crowd? I couldn't believe how witty I was being in spite of the circumstances. He smiled. Do you want to go somewhere else? I asked him, wondering if now he might be totally embarrassed to be seen with me. Um, he considered for a moment. Well, I would, but maybe nowhere a good girl like you would want to be. Not on the first date, anyhow. Well, well, already flirting, are we? And so early into our date. I must have looked a little shocked at his comment because it was his turn then to delve into a hearty laugh, this time no mistaking that it was at my expense. Despite how bold his comment was, I appreciated the skill with which he eased the anxiety of my previous faux pas. I decided to play along a little to my own surprise. Actually, this is technically our second date, if you remember. Oh, I remember, he assured me, unable to stop himself from grinning. Are you hungry? He asked as he led me to his table by the window. After pulling out the chair for me, he slipped into his own, leaned back and tilted his head as if he were trying to get a panoramic view of the whole cafe scene with me, the focal point, blushing in the foreground. He was brilliant. One moment, the concerned gentleman, then smooth-talking, witty, suggestive, and now the easygoing, confident man who knew well enough when it was time to change the subject. I hesitated and finally admitted that I was a little hungry. When the waitress came by, I ordered a dessert. 
after my When Harry Met Sally move of asking for more chocolate syrup on the side of my raspberry cheesecake and a caramel cafe au lait with skim milk only and just a little whipped cream on top, no cinnamon please and thank you, he followed with his order. Coffee black, he said, and then winked at me. His smile again and it was electric. It affected me in such a way that I found it difficult to concentrate on what he was saying. I was in a dream, a cloud of romantic bliss. This couldn't have been more harlequin romance. We talked about friends and work mostly while I avoided any hint of Harry for the time being. And then just as I was beginning to relax, he came out with it. I heard you have a son, he said as if he were asking about the weather. Mm-hmm, I mumbled as I nodded yes, simultaneously taking a huge bite of my cheesecake. Change the subject, Angel, quickly, now. I was wondering, I started to say, but he already had his next question out. How old is he? His expression was relaxed, like someone who was just making polite conversation, but I knew I had to be cautious with every word. He's a big boy, getting bigger every day, I said, hoping that my ambiguous answer would give him the impression that I was the mother of a toddler. Where's his father, he asked. And then before I could answer, he added, do you mind me asking? Uh, no, I don't mind. I looked up from my plate this time and into his eyes, feeling a little relieved that I could answer this one truthfully. I haven't seen him for a long time. I took another bite of cheesecake to give me some extra time to think about how I was going to cut his questioning short. And then finally, I came up with, I'm single, you know, and prayed that he would take that as the final word I would say about it. Good for me, he answered. He got the hint. And so what about you? What have you been up to the last 15 years? I was just as curious about his life as he was about mine. And I felt it was his turn to be on the spot. He gave me a hesitant smile. One corner of his mouth curled up as he considered what he would be willing to tell. What would you like to know? I wasn't ready for that and felt a little annoyed that he had somehow managed to put me on the spot again. Well, I hesitated. Do I really have to come right out with him and ask him point blank about his love life? I settled for career. Where did you end up after you went to school in the States? Well, actually, I didn't stay there after my second year at college. Really? You gave up your scholarship? Yeah, uh, I decided I didn't really want to play football. So I came back to Canada and decided to finish school out west. When I graduated, I got a job in BC. His gaze shifted to the empty plate in front of me. Would you like something else? When he looked up and into my eyes, I noticed his stare was deeper this time, as if he were giving me an option for something that was not on the menu. I had to look down, anywhere but at him. I couldn't hold his gaze any longer for fear that I would melt like butter on hot bread. He didn't wait for me to answer. After catching our server's attention across the room, which took all of two seconds, considering the fact that she had been staring at him since we sat down, he held up two fingers, then pointed down at my plate. Within a minute, there was another large slab of raspberry cheesecake in front of me. He doesn't waste a minute, does he? 
Recovering, I asked him what job he had taken after he'd graduated. I worked for a couple years for an accounting firm in Vancouver, and then I did my MBA out there. He paused for a sip of coffee. Suddenly, he seemed to be avoiding eye contact with me. He looked down and began to fidget with his cup. I didn't know whether to change the subject to give him an out or to continue with my line of questioning. Oh, what the hell? I'm going to pry a little. Quite a change from playing football, I said. He nodded, his eyes still downcast. Did you always want to be an accountant? As I asked the question, I wondered to myself how it was that someone like Les, with, sense, with such enigmatic personality, would be doing a job like accounting. He seemed to have read my mind. Not always, but I don't really do too much number crunching anymore. I'm heading one of the financial departments. I run around checking on other people's work more than anything. I was nodding my head, trying to picture him in his business suit, walking through hundreds of cubicles on his way to his office with a nameplate on the door that read, Les Grierson, manager. I pictured all of the women on the floor who would be peeking over the top of their partitions to catch a glimpse of him, hoping he'd notice them. Doesn't sound so exciting, does it? He asked, a curious smile on his lips. I smiled back. Before I could answer, he continued, I do more training and financial planning now than anything else, and I get to travel quite a bit both here and in the U.S., so it's not as boring as it seems or as it used to be. Do you enjoy it? I do, he answered, nodding his head, very much. I felt reassured. Being a manager in a top firm, along with teaching others the ropes of the business, seemed to be more his niche. So how did you end up here in Toronto, I asked. He was looking down at his coffee cup and started to smile again. And then he looked me square in the face and said, a girl. A girl? I repeated his words. I didn't know what to say, so I just stared right back and waited for him to give me some sort of explanation. I met a girl from Toronto, and I moved here from Vancouver to be with her. I couldn't understand what he was telling me. He came back to be with a girl, but he was out with me tonight? He chuckled. I lived with her for a few months here in Toronto. That was almost two years ago. We were engaged, but it just didn't work out. He stopped for a moment. Do you really want to know all this? Well, I began trying to steady my voice. Yes, sure. Only if you want to share. As if he could see right through me and my curiosity, which was bursting at the seams, he smiled again. I went back to BC when things didn't work out here. Then the firm I worked for relocated to Toronto recently, and so here I am again. It was a lot to take in. The words girl and engaged seemed to be reeling in my head. Les seemed to notice that I was perhaps less than excited about this news. I tried to be as aloof as I could be about the fact that he had almost married someone. So what happened to her, the girl you were engaged to? There, I said it. I had to know. For the first time, he hesitated. Finally, after taking another sip of his coffee, he looked at me and said, she's in the past. His eyes were glued to mine. It was a moment of acknowledgement for both of us, each of us recognizing that the other had been through something significant, each of us with more to tell, but knowing that it wouldn't be tonight. 
You know, it's funny. I keep getting pulled back here. He was grinning now. It's like I'm supposed to be here for some reason. Now, if irony had a name, then it had to be Les Grierson. He had one big reason for being here. And so I wanted to believe that if destiny and God played fair, then Harry had to be what was pulling him here. I said a quick prayer at that moment that Les was here to stay. With a second order of raspberry cheesecake, I succeeded in convincing him to taste him, taste it. As I watched him savor it in his perfect mouth, I said, see, you should have ordered something too. Then I wouldn't have felt so awkward about eating alone on our first date. Our second date, did you forget already? He didn't miss a beat. Anyway, he continued, you feel awkward about that after the curb gymnastics you were doing out there? He stared with that same sensual smile that had caused the accident in the first place. He makes me laugh. Brownie points for him in that department. Now let's get on with this date and see where else he can score some points. No, my mind was not in the gutter at that moment. I simply could not stop thinking about what it would be like to kiss him. After he graciously paid for the coffees and the double order of cheesecake, he offered his arm to me as we made our way outdoors. When we stepped onto the sidewalk, he gave me a sidelong glance. That dress you have on is really cute, by the way. He was staring straight ahead, but smiling confidently as if he didn't need to see whether I was impressed by his compliment. Well, cute was what I wanted and cute was what I got. As I thought this to myself, I almost chuckled out loud. I knew that he would take my overzealous smile as a sign that his compliment had exceeded his expectations. Foolish man. We chatted in the car about Toronto traffic, our jobs, and our hometown. Then I told him all about Moira and some of our crazy antics. I was driving since I was supposed to be the tour guide, though I didn't quite know what to show him. He'd already lived here with his fiance, and I was sure that he had used the excuse of of showing him around town as a way to get me to go out with him. You must not have been able to get out much if you need a tour guide now after having lived here. After I'd said it, I realized that perhaps I was being a little insensitive. His last experience in the city with his ex was obviously something he didn't want to talk about. And here I was throwing it up in his face. I decided I'd better stop talking. I got out a little, but not as much as I should have. His tone, to my relief, was matter-of-fact. Besides, he added, I wanted to see the city through your eyes, Angel. So, okay then, just make me feel like even more of a louse by saying something so perfectly charming. I could hear the warning bells going off in my head again. I knew I was starting to fall for him, and it would be a quick, beautiful, and painful descent down this slippery slope. I had decided to avoid the regular touristy stuff like the CN Tower or the harbour front. I was sure he had already seen most of the city. I thought about Kensington Market, which was pretty much dead at this hour, unlike the hustle and bustle of Chinatown, which followed. We drove down Spadina Avenue and I pointed out a few of the old shops that my mother and I used to frequent when we had first moved to Toronto. Some of the stores were unrecognizable now, converted to fancier boutiques and coffee shops. Lauren's coat store was still there, though. I recalled, as if it were yesterday, the red wool coat my mother had bought me from that particular shop when I just turned 16. 
I loved our Saturday morning shopping treks downtown, and I loved that red coat, which I still had, tucked away in one of my closets. Les seemed so interested in hearing my little anecdotes, I almost wondered if his enthusiasm was put on, but my instincts assured me that he was being completely sincere. I avoided looking at him as I rambled on, trying not to have a repeat of the evening's near accident, but I could feel his stare on me. I knew he was watching every move, every expression. It was nerve-wracking and intoxicating at the same time. I noticed that it was already past 11, and despite how much I wanted to stay with him and drink in his face, his words, his smile, I felt that I should get home to Harry. I dropped Les off at the car park quite a ways down from the cafe where we met. When I pulled up beside his black SUV, butterflies swarmed in my stomach as I wondered whether he would kiss me goodbye. Then, at the moment when our eyes locked in one of those pre-kiss gazes, someone honked his horn and I realized that I was blocking an inconveniently parked Mustang. Damn those Mustangs anyway. Les gave my hand a squeeze and I said, I guess I better go, trying, trying not to sound too disappointed. Goodbye was all he said, but there was something so inviting in the way he said it that it seemed more appropriate for him to say hello instead. When he opened the car door to step out, a warm September breeze rushed in and I caught a whiff of his cologne, which was cool and invigorating. I took a deep breath. As I drove away, I gave him a little wave and he waved back and smiled. If only that stupid guy hadn't honked his horn, I found myself saying out loud, hitting my palm against the steering wheel. I really wanted that first date kiss, then correcting myself, or second date kiss. Driving home, I tried to imagine what it would be like to kiss Les again after all these years. The thought sent shivers up and down my spine, and I found myself feeling anxious about the next time I would see him knowing for certain that there would have to be a next time soon. <laughs> that's the end of that. Yeah, that, that was, was a good long. chapter. That's, that's one of my favorites. Yeah, that was really good. Yeah, the Their date. Time. And I love it because she's, she's so klutzy. <laughs> she's so what? Klutzy. Oh yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. yeah that's, and that's, you know what? I, writing that I pictured myself in that situation and yeah. what would happen to me. Yeah. And that would definitely, boof, you know, because I'm always tripping and falling. In fact, falling. Yeah. Um, my family used to um, make fun of me growing up and say that I was a jinx because I was so clumsy. And at one point when anybody else would spill something, they'd be like, you were looking at me. That's <laughs> so, and it was I just, still your fault. It was still my if, fault, yeah. even if I didn't drop something right. or whatever. And so it became this big joke in my family and they started to call these moves, Anita moves. Okay. So they would be anytime anybody to this day, and yeah. we're talking like, like this is how many years have gone by, right? Yeah. To this day, if anybody spills something, somebody says, I need a move. I need a move. Yeah. yeah like always. And so now my sister-in-law, Laura, um, she's just about as klutzy as I am. 
So when the two of us are in a kitchen together, it's very dangerous. Actually. You're going to trip over each other, drop things or whatever. It absolutely yeah. is so dangerous. And we laugh about it all the time because somebody always spills or drops something when the two of us are beside each other. Yeah. It's hilarious. That's anyway, good. but yeah, no, I love that chapter. I, too. I love that. I'm wondering how long she's going to be able to avoid mentioning how old her son is and whether he's going to connect those dots when she does mention it they they're kind of good together because they don't really seem awkward thinking back about the night that they they keep calling it their first date or whatever a long time ago but they and they don't seem to feel awkward around each other because of that which is kind of good she's more awkward than he is like i think she tries to put up a front that uh, you know okay. but he seems to be more confident that she is yeah right yeah. He's a little bit older than her. Yeah. Like he was at the time. Years, like yeah. when she was 15, he was, I can't remember now. Yeah, was he, he was a senior. So he was, he left. or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. or okay. 17 or something. Yeah. yeah. He's a few years older. Yeah. Yeah, so. Okay. So. No, it's a good, it's a good story. Yeah, I like, I, li- I really like that chapter too because of the sexual tension mm-hmm. and because the, it, she's klutzy at the same time. So you think it's going to be this romantic thing and then she does something dumb. Yeah. And, and then it's kind of funny that she's going for cute with the dress, but probably not <laughs> expecting her, the guy to say, oh, your dress is cute, right? Like, and she's like, oh, well, that's yeah. what I was going for. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, yeah. Exactly. So, yes. Yeah, so and the and the kiss that she didn't get mm-hmm. yeah she does get a kiss eventually yeah. hope so yeah, yeah. and it, and it's hope and so. it's very it's comical too yeah that's in a late i think that's actually in a couple of chapters okay so um it's it's, a, it's funny you it's not what you expect the first kiss to be okay with you know somebody yeah. you really like yeah yeah so well, that's good yeah. i was also thinking when i was reading the book how when i was in high school I had a couple of friends who actually both had babies when they were like yeah. um, single, like not yeah. married, not attached or whatever. And it yeah. was, it was not easy for them. You know, they had, mm-hmm. they, one of them had a lot of support from her family and the other one did, but her, she was the oldest herself of seven kids. So Whoa. there, there were still a lot of kids coming up behind her and she was only like, 16 or 17 when she had this baby so it was harder for her than it was for the other young woman but anyway interesting yeah, not easy and you know for and we make judgments i mean uh with zafaya in her case like it it hinted that there was nobody real the guy was the the father of the baby mm-hmm. was not in the picture it doesn't delve into too much detail there yeah but um the idea was uh, and 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 as a writer, I put her in that situation for a reason because it, she comes up later on okay. and her connection to Angel and Moira and um, how their situations are so similar and, um, you know, the difference that family makes and sometimes family pulls through even at the last minute, sometimes they don't. Yeah. So um, she's an important character, I feel, but she's not, you know, a main character. Right. But um, it, it's difficult. She's there to get you thinking yeah. kind of. Imagine, right? imagine, yeah. you know, um, and it described her as well, working, lifting boxes and, 
you know, and can pregnant women lift boxes? Yes, they can. Should they? No, yeah, <laughs> probably not. Not. It sounds probably like not. she was pretty far along, right? Yes. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. I think she's got a few months to and go. And I always but... think, well, maybe you're not making minimum wage, but I think if you're working in a grocery store, you quite likely are. So that's always yeah. hard too, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. That's a yeah. hard go for anybody. So yeah. Yeah. I really, I, I have to say, I really love the characters in this book. Yeah. Like uh, some of them were based on people I know. And even the family dynamics were, you know, I, I used a lot of my own family dynamics. I was thinking that when the, we read the part about the sisters and you said like sometimes these lovely moments with a sister make up for some times yeah. when you have more difficult moments. Yes. And I thought, well, you would know that as probably because yeah. you probably get along really well with your sister, but it wouldn't yeah. be to say that you haven't had yeah. difficulties yeah. at times, sure. right? Sure. Yeah. You don't always agree and sure. you don't, you know, growing up, there's a bit of competition for attention and, you know, things that, mm -hmm. you know, and, and whatever you're, you know, when you're at different stages yeah. in your life. And, um, but, you know, I have to say that, um, like this, this book, I, it's, it's a romantic comedy, you know, but it's also about relationships and mm -hmm. the relationship with uh, Angel and her sisters, both sisters, her brother, her parents, her friends, mm -hmm. and this man and mm -hmm. her son. Mm -hmm. So it's really, really through the comedy and through the funny parts and the romance, it's really about that. Mm -hmm. Right. So I don't know how far ahead have you read farther ahead? No, no? I didn't want to oh. read anymore because I wasn't sure if okay. I was supposed to. So yeah. I only read to chapter 11 because I yeah. thought, um, you knew that we were going to read that. Yeah. And ones. I didn't yeah. want to go ahead in case, you know, in case there was something that we were going to talk about, like, yeah. you know how it is when you do the, yeah. and the then sometimes, the yeah. And then you start you talking about something way yeah, ahead. Yeah. Like, yeah. No, no. So only, I just made that prediction about Moira and Zafaya, maybe, yeah. maybe Moira taking her under. So now you have to read ahead. Thought, yeah. We'll, we'll have to I'll talk again. To, I'll be able to read the whole book. <laughs> I'll be able to finish reading it now. Yeah. 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 Anyway, that's good. So I hope you're enjoying it. Yeah, I am. Good. Yeah, it's a good story. Yeah, yeah. I, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> I wrote it. But I, yeah, like, yeah. I should like it. I wrote it. Yeah. But um, I like listening to other people read it. Okay. And you read it like exactly how I would read it. Oh, okay. With, that's you know, good. how when she's thinking to herself. Yeah. And like you read it exactly how it should be read. Oh, good. Actually, so good. that oh, was really good. well done, good. Cindy. Oh, good. <laughs> Oh, good. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I enjoyed it Yeah, because you had the right expression at the right moments. And you know what? I watched you a couple of times and you actually were, had your hands. Oh, you were kind of talking with your hands as you were reading, like you were saying, and no wonder or something. And your yeah. hand was okay. saying, no wonder, yeah. like it was interesting to watch you read and you kind read, of were like the way she would be talking. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. You know how oh, when we talk, good. we talk with yeah. our hands, you yeah. were kind of reading and talking, talking reading with your hands too. <laughs> Okay. Well, that's good. That's what Angel would have been doing. I that's guess. what Angel yeah. would have been doing. Yeah. We talk, we, in another, I think another episode, we talk about talking with our hands. Okay. But, but now we're talking about reading with your hands. So reading cool. with your hands. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Very good. Anyway, I think we'll stop it there. We're at sure. almost an hour. That was a long one. That yeah. Good. That was a long chapter. That yeah, chapter it was, was a long But one. I wanted you to read that, that one. That was an important. It was. Yes. That was a good one. Juicy one. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I want to thank you so much, Cindy. Thank you so much for Thanks including for me. You're yeah. welcome. I yeah, knew you'd be great. And I'll have great. to listen to the podcast when it's all done. Yeah, yeah. yeah we're going to be posting very soon. Okay. No, yeah. I really enjoyed reading that chapter. Thanks so much for having me and for uh, the conversation. Very good. I hope you come back. 
Sure, sure. Or maybe you have a fourth friend named Cindy. I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Do I? Maybe. Know, maybe Cindy. Cindy number three. I don't know. I think you're. Yeah. The, uh, that's it. That's I it. think it, we're done. You're out of Cindy's, Cindy's now. Oh. Uh, anyway, fiction friends, I thank you so much for joining. I hope you're enjoying the book so far, and um, it does get it does get really really juicy too, like in in many respects. So I hope you join us again. Great. Until next time.